0: Welcome to the Knowledge Nuggets podcast, hosted by John Ingram. All right.
1: Dude, your picture, you look a lot older than your picture. <laughs> and it's, it's only been a couple of years, not even a year. No, a year. Yeah, well,
0: it's a couple of years of COVID, Joe.
1: <laughs> yeah, really. No I know.
2: All right. Well, let's get into it. John, the floor is yours. All
1: right. Okay. So,
0: Knowledge Nuggets Episode number 13, today is October 6th, 2021, and uh, I'm your host, John Ingram, and of course with this uh, particular episode and all previous and hopefully in the future, I will not have any disclosures on this topic. So at Knowledge Nuggets, our motto is, spend a little time and expand your mind, and hopefully with a little nugget of knowledge that we're going to give you today. This week's topic is Recombinant Factor 7A. So if you haven't watched before, the format of the show is we give you a noteworthy topic each session, hopefully, and we hope hope to give you something you can take home as a little knowledge nugget that you can bring to work tomorrow. If you see a golden nugget in the upper right corner of the screen, that's a screen you can snapshot, screenshot, take a picture of it, take it with you to work tomorrow, and hopefully be a better clinician at work from now on. It's a highly impactful segment, 12 to 15 minutes. Then we do a surprise topic, a little quick down-and-dirty topic that I select. Could be anything two to three minutes, followed by panel discussion and questions, about 15 minutes. And then if any of you guys ever want to comment, have a suggestion for a a future show or question, anytime, please email me at john.ingram at perfweb.us. So what is recombinant factor 7a? So here's a knowledge nugget right off the bat. The definition of recombinant factor 7a is, was FDA approved for the treatment of bleeding and for the prevention of bleeding and surgical or invasive procedures in patients with acquired hemophilia? That's what it's FDA approved for. Recombinant factor 7a is indicated for perioperative bleeding management in adults and children 12 years and older, with hemophilia A and B, with inhibitors, congenital factor seven deficiency, glansman thrombosthenia with refractories to platelet transfusions. And we're gonna discuss a little bit of that as we go on. Also in people with hemophilia type A and B, who have a deficiency of factors eight and nine, which is what hemophilia A and B are, these two factors are administered oftentimes for bleeding as a prophylaxis medication prior to surgery. However, some patients develop neutralizing antibodies to these medications. They're called inhibitors against the medications for uh, what they're being given, factor VIII and factor 9. These inhibitors, which are antibodies, often increase over time and inhibit the overall action of coagulation in these particular patients that already have hemophilia A or B. So recombinant factor 7a, which is an activated form of factor 7, bypasses factors 8 and 9 and causes coagulation without the need for the factors 8 and 9 to be functioning or present. The trade names of factor 7a are NOVO 7, REO 7, 7 Factor. and there's actually a few, a few more than that, but NOVO 7 seems to be the most common one. So what is the dosage you might give a patient, somewhere between 75 to 225 micrograms per kilogram, IV, every three hours until hemostasis is achieved? And we're going to talk about this, guys. Remember a week or two, a couple sessions back, we had a conversation about protamine, and we uh, were talking about how some people had the misconception that protamine is a procoagulant. Protamine is not a procoagulant. It's a reversal of epirin. And if given in too high of doses, protamine is actually an anticoagulant. But in the fact of recombinant factor 7a, it is strictly a very powerful procoagulant. And you have to give this in very small doses and be very careful because it is a strong procoagulant. We're going to look at this uh, a little bit here coming on in the next few slides. So let's look at the coagulation cascade. So if you look at the coagulation cascade, of course, everybody's familiar with intrinsic pathway, extrinsic pathway. And what you have here is patients with hemophilia A have a factor VIII deficiency. So with a factor VIII deficiency, you cannot produce factor Xa, which is right there at the pivot point of the common pathway. So factor X, production of factor X and factor Xa is absolutely vital to being able to produce an eventual plot. They're at the end. So go ahead. So the next uh, thing is when you have hemophilia, uh, Go ahead with the slide. I think it's going to go on to uh oh, there we go. hemophilia B is a deficiency of factor uh eight, okay? Or uh, uh factor nine, that's a typo. I'm sorry. Factor nine is fact is hemophilia B and factor eight deficiency is phil- hemophilia A, so that's a typo. But without factor nine, Activating factor 8, you certainly cannot activate factor 10. So, this is why hemophilia A and B have such a problem with bleeding because they cannot produce uh, the eventual factor A, factor 10, I believe, factor 10A, which will produce your clot. So, where does factor 7A come in in all this? Go ahead. So, how does recombinant factor 7A affect the coagulation cascade? So factor 7a, which is the active form of factor 7, bypasses factor 8 and 9, as I mentioned, and causes coagulation without the need for those two factors, 8 and 9, as I was, as I was just mentioning. So if you look again at the coagulation cascade, by the way, guys, these slides are gonna uh, progress automatically. You see that factor 7a is on the extrinsic side. It directly promotes the production of activated factor 10a. So, therefore, you don't need factor uh, 8a or factor 9 as in hemophilia A and B because factor 7a directly uh, produces and activates factor 10a. So, that's the huge benefit of giving factor 10a.
1: Which is your common pathway,
0: right? right. Factor 10 is your... Stimulating right what you need to. So, patients with hemophilia A and B, basically, this is a tremendous benefit to them because regardless of their deficiency... Of factor eight or nine, or lack of function of eight or nine becomes irrelevant because it activates factor 10 without the need of that, of either one of those. So, what are some serious warnings and complications, though? Because there are serious arterial and venous thrombotic events that have been reported with factor uh, factor seven activation. Congenital hemophilia receiving concomitant treatment with activated PCCs for thrombin complex. Concentrates. If you have a patient who's already receiving that and you add factor 7a to it, you can have some serious arterial and venous thrombotic events. Older patients with acquired hemophilia and are receiving other hemostatic agents, and you add factor 7a onto that, have experienced some uh, frequency of arterial and venous thrombosis. Patients with a history of cardiac and vascular disease. And patients with indwelling catheters, such as chest tubes and ECMO. Now, not always, but you can have successful treatments of patients on ECMO or indwelling catheters, which all of our patients are going to have, with Factor 7a. But because it's such a powerful procoagulant, when the Factor 7a enters the system, and as you guys know, uh, blood comes in contact with these artificial surfaces, we have seen major clotting off of chest tubes, and then, of course, blood filling into the chest and, and complications with that, and also ECMO, uh, catheter, uh, ECMO systems clotting off. So if you're going to get factor 7a on ECMO, you better be really very careful and do it uh, with very small amounts and really cross all your fingers and toes that you don't clot off the ECMO surface. So in the military here, not so long ago, they used a lot of recombinant factor 7a during the Iraq war. And um, when patients were bleeding, they would just give them factor 7a as a desperation measure to stop bleeding. And it does work very well. However, so, you know, it was uh, credited with saving many lives, but they also saw a high number of DVT, deep venous thrombosis, pulmonary embolus, as well as unexpected strokes, heart attacks, and deaths. And as you know, guys, these are all very young people Mm. that they're giving this to. And so to have, you know, strokes and heart attacks, uh, you can see the impact that this is a pretty powerful prothrombotic drug, procoagulant. So, now the gem of the week, guys, we're ready for that. And as you guys know, if you've never watched before, the gem of the week can be absolutely anything that I decided to be. It could be something in the world of trivia, could be on how to succeed in an interview or maybe a virtual interview, which I think we did a couple months ago. That one. We could talk about a career opportunity out there. Joe mentions he's still hiring out there. In, in Houston, which is a great city to work. We could talk about something in Perfusion News, like a product recall. We could talk about something that occurred during uh, Perfusion Week. One time we took a famous quote from uh, Einstein and we did that and talked about something to do with the uh, the knowledge of, of a famous quote and the implications of that. And we can always talk about a famous or or, or upcoming uh, conference famous. coming up.
2: We went to the we mm-hmm.
0: 2022, right, Joe? So this episode's gem of the week is going to be Merck's Pharmaceutical Oral Antiviral Drug. I don't know how to pronounce this very well. Monopiravir, treatment for COVID-19. I don't know if you guys have heard this, but this is just now breaking news. Monopiravir, it's in its phase three trial. Go ahead, guys. So what we see is Merck's Pharmaceutical Oral Antiviral Monopiravir. Reduced the risk of hospitalization by 50% compared wow. to placebo for patients with mild or moderate COVID 19 in a positive interim analysis of phase three study. We're going to talk about what all this means. Molipiravir, the interim analysis evaluated data from 775 patients who were initially enrolled in the phase three trial just prior to August 5th of this year. Now, At the interim analysis of the phase three trial, in other words, they just don't do a complete phase three trial and wait to the end and say, oh, by the way, this wasn't working. They halfway through the phase three trial, they take a stop and they take a look and say, hey, what is the data showing us? And it showed them already that they reduced the risk of hospitalization by 50%. Wow. So now check this out. Eligibility criteria required that all patients had a laboratory confirmed mild to moderate COVID-19 with symptoms within the first five days of the study. All patients were required to have at least one comorbidity risk factor associated with poor disease outcome at the time they entered the study. So in other words, these weren't people that, oh, I just tested positive for COVID and I've never had any symptoms and they gave me this drug. No, this had to be people that were symptomatic and had at least one comorbidity, which, as you guys know, diabetes, heart disease, uh, uh, obesity, and so on, pretty significant comorbidity. So they had to have a pretty decent uh, risk factor, and they gave, this is the patients that they used in the trial. So I thought that was important. Hmm. Then, additionally, based on the participants, with available viral sequencing, approximately 40% of participants Molopiravir demonstrated consistent efficacy across all viral variants, including gamma, delta, and the one people are talking about next called mu. It had equal effectiveness no matter what the variant was. 7.3% of patients who received molopiravir were hospitalized through day 29. So you're talking about 385 patients that were given this Uh, There was 742 altogether, 385 were given the drug, and then 377 were given placebo. But 14.1% of the placebo-treated patients were hospitalized, Uh, so basically half of the hospitalizations after day 29 of having active COVID. So then, through day 29, though, no deaths were reported in the patients receiving Molnupiravir as compared to eight deaths in patients who were receiving placebo. At the recommendation of an independent data monitoring committee, and also with the uh, uh, cooperation of the FDA, recruitment into the study is now being stopped early due to these positive results. In other words, go ahead to the next slide. They were going to uh, eventually obtain 1,500 patients. As I said, so far they had obtained approximately 750, and they took halfway through the phase 3 trial, they said, hey, look look at look what the data is showing us. Is it working or is it not? Rather than subject another 750 patients and realize half of those are going to get a placebo instead of the drug, rather than submit people to that with the results they've already found, they're going to submit early use author- authorization to the FDA, and they're going to stop uh, the phase 3 trial. So they also plan to submit marketing applications to other worldwide regulatory bodies besides the FDA here in the U.S. So at the time of the decision to stop recruitment based on the compelling interim efficacy results, the trial was approaching full recruitment of the Phase three sample size of 1,550 patients with more than 90% of the intended size had been already enrolled. So they're progressing with the study going on to the second half of the phase three trial at the time, now basically it was in the last week. I believe this all happened to stop the uh, the trial and go on with what they've been able to do so far. Reduced reduced the risk of hospitalization. Uh, the drug reduced the risk of hospitalization and or death across all key subgroups, meaning all comorbidity categories of patients. Efficacy was not affected by the timing of the onset or the or which type of underlying risk the patient had. The incidence of any adverse event from the drug, from the drug uh, compared to placebo, it was actually lower. Adverse events uh, from the drug were actually lower mm-hmm. than the placebo group. Uh, the placebo group had 40% adverse events. Moldaviravir had 35% adverse, adverse events. And then we looked at the incident of drug-related adverse events. Between placebo and the drug was almost identical, 12 and 11%, respectively. So, this is showing that the drug is not causing any adverse effects compared to placebo. Wow. All right, guys, so that is the Knowledge Nuggets episode number 13, I believe. And if you guys have any email, comments, or questions, please email me at that web address there, and I will respond to all emails that come to me.
1: John got a very good, excellent, very good, very good job. Thank you so very much. Um, And it's really interesting to hear about this uh, new antiviral um, and uh, and how that's going. But that's another. I want to. I do want to discuss that. But I want to ask this question from Joy Patel. Um, Are there any special considerations or interactions with the uh, activated factor seven? With antifibrinolytics such as Amicar or TXA.
0: Well, the reason you're giving Factor Seven is because your patient is very serious bleeding complication. Factor Seven, the military gave it as a first-line drug. It sounded like on that article that I pulled up, but as you guys can probably attest to in the hospital, it's sort of more of a last-stitch effort. It's not the first thing you give patients, right? You've tried everything else. Yeah. Uh, the bleeding is still persisting, and you have to be pretty seriously uh, getting close to uh, desperate to get factor seven. And the reason is is because well, first of all, it's extremely expensive. But second of all, it is a procoagulant. So if you have uh, any risk factors involving uh, you know the patient clotting off or having thrombotic events, we see this at our institution. Anecdotally, we see it quite a bit. But if you if you research the studies. It actually shows a pretty low incidence of it, but I can tell you anecdotally uh, on our end anyway uh we we get very nervous when we get patients
1: factor seven how How have you seen that there in Houston I've only given uh factor seven one time mm-hmm. um, and uh it was a uh it was a it was a disaster I was in Louisiana um, I I've have never given it almost I, you're right i've given I've seen it given um
2: well, I mean, I, I've, I've never in the
1: case where yeah, it was given. I've one never time.
2: had a patient that has received it, to my knowledge. Right,
1: right. Now, I've only had one, yeah. um, and uh, that, that they, it wasn't a good outcome. Um, so, you know, I don't know how much you g- use use it. Now, I know we use that Kcentra.
2: Yeah, Kcentra.
1: A lot. Uh, Mm -hmm. I've used that several times. Yeah, I've done that maybe three or
2: four times just in the past couple of years. Yeah,
1: but I haven't really, I just don't have any experience with activated factor 7. I know that there was that, what's the name of that uh, fellow that, uh, I think he's with specialty care now. They do their webinars too. I can't remember his name now. Um, Al? Al? Yeah, yeah, Al Stammers, that's the guy. Okay. I know that he, uh, years ago, Somebody, it's been several, it's been like a a probably a decade, maybe longer. Um, Somebody had gotten up and gave a talk on activated factor seven, and uh, he was uh, very um, impassioned against the use of it for perfusion uh, related
2: things, or well, no,
1: just for bleeding in general. he, He felt that it had such profound hypercoagulability that uh it was it the, the risk was too great to use um i don't know what his stance is now at least that's what i recall that's well, how i recall it um i don't he, want to misquote well, the guy but he seemed been... pretty he seemed pretty negative against it of course i'm thinking well, to myself i mean do you want to bleed to death or do you want to clot i mean i don't know you know i mean that's
0: the reason the reason probably why he was saying that i I didn't see that talk, it was quite a long time ago, but I can tell you in my research of this, when I showed the dosage range, which was 75 to 225 mics per kilogram, um, even at the 75 mics, it's something on the order of 500-fold to 1,000-fold the amount of factor 7a that we normally have in our system. Mm -hmm. I think that's part of why that is, I'm not sure. Why can't we reduce the dose yeah. to where, you know, just a, a minor amount more? But for some reason, when I was uh, looking into this, and this is not a, a research paper, but it was actually uh, clinicians that I know that have given it, and I was interviewing them about this talk, and they said it's like, you know, it's like multiple hundreds of times the, uh, the amount of factor 7A that we have in our system. So, you know, it's so powerful. I think that's probably why he was saying that. It's so powerful. But when I did the research, I figured I'd find all kinds of complications and people having, you know, 30, 40, 50 percent incident of thrombotic events. And actually, I found it, most of the research for it to be way down around 5 percent. And even on ECMO, they found wow. it to be low. But in our experience, I can tell you, it's not that low. It, it's, it's very scary. Even with a patient off ECMO, and let's say you have two or three chest tubes, and you need those chest tubes to work because the patient's bleeding, the patient clots so severely that the chest tubes literally are filled with a snake of a clot, and then the patient, you know, has a, uh, a pneumo and things like this. A hemo, hemothorax. yeah, hemothorax.
1: hemothorax. A hemothorax. Yes. They get yeah. attention, hemothorax. I remember one time. So I don't know if we answered your question, Joy. Um, I, I, from my perspective, intuitively, I guess speaking, if you're, you know, uh, the 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 anti. Hyperfibrolytics like Amicar and, and uh, uh, transexamic acid are really designed more for just that. You know, you have hyperfibrolysis. hyperfibrolysis. Um, two completely ends of the spectrum. Yeah, one's so, you know, up. Is there
2: a, a very right. small.
1: Uh, uh, well, one know. is for not having your clot dissolve real fast, right. and the other is just to form a clot. So, right. If you think your problem is hyperfibrinolysis, then you're going to want to use anti-hyperfibrinolytics. Mm-hmm. But if your problem is you just can't form a clot, yeah. then that's a completely different well, pathway. They, well, I don't see it.
2: Yeah, so. uh, that as well. But I was also just saying two ends of the spectrum of more normal use, yes. extreme use. Yes, yes. yes. The, the,
1: the potential side effects of Amicar TXA are extremely low. Yeah. What's up?
2: oh yeah i I hadn't oh. forgotten uh no i I'll get to this this is going to be part of my closing, but i want okay. to finish out this
1: so I hope we answered that question joy i i i think that uh really we would need to invite a uh a serious hematologist, hematologist. Yeah. into this into this we need to get one to of really those our, in
2: our Faculty, we don't have
1: one. No, we really don't. No, we've done one. I think we actually had one. We oh. actually did, I do believe, at some point in time in the past. Mm, I see. Way early, predating you.
2: Predating um, me.
1: Predating the time we started. I haven't gone through the casino. Casino. entire
2: library. Yes. Joy
1: says thank you. Yeah. So uh, you're welcome. Um, um, but yeah, I mean, we give Amicar and TXA prophylactically. You know, just yeah. we put five grams in the pump. We give five grams before they do the sternotomy. You know, I mean, it's pretty much routine. I just don't think that it would, if you're getting to factor seven level, um, we're in a lot, you're in a lot of trouble.
2: You're in a different, and, you're on a different uh, road. You're on a
1: different road. Yes. Yeah. Now you might have low side effects, you know, such as thrombotic events, but that might be because the patient never had the opportunity to, to, to really be diagnosed for that because the outcome was poor. Yeah. Um, I think you're really in a lot of trouble as you saw from the, You know, from the injuries sustained on the battlefield where you just have profound, uncontrollable bleeding. And that's probably occurring from massive transfusions and having had so much blood loss that they just became coagulopathic. And there was no way to, at that point in time, stop any bleeding. So, again, you're confronted with a problem of do you bleed to death or do you take the risk Mm -hmm. of... Clotting everything, but possibly stopping the bleeding. If you know this is going to kill you, then, or the patient, then you, you need to do this, and it may still kill the patient for a different reason, but it might not. So, I mean, that's really what you're, you're, you're that we're, we're always in between the rock and the hard place. It just seems to be yeah. the way it all is. Right.
2: Well, especially in that circumstance when they were, you know, they were, they were out in, in a war. They're not in a hospital with the luxury of making, yeah. uh, you know, measured decisions. They have to react. Yes,
1: to absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, yes, that's very true. The time for polite hand wringing is not there. Right. right. Exactly.
2: John, yeah, any the, final uh, thoughts on your topic there?
0: Yeah. The thing with um, what the uh, I guess it was Joy was saying there. Um, if you we're talking about in the ICU, right? With this, we're not talking about in the OR. We're right. not going to get. Uh, so in the ICU you're running your coag blood test and if you see that you have fibrinolysis you know your elevated d dimers your fibrin split products are, are very elevated and you know you have fibrinolysis going on then you you would give amicar txa but but if you don't have a but if your problem is not that and your problem is you have very high you know pt ptts you cannot coagulate then you have a coagulation problem mm-hmm. and if you're just not able to correct the problem i guess at some point you 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 might try factor 7 but from a perfusion standpoint uh, and from a cardiac uh, ICU nursing standpoint, you have to be very, very worried when you get factor 7A because it's already activated, by the way. It's factor mm. 7 activated. It's, yeah. And it's going to immediately activate factor 10. And you are going to zoom down that common pathway and start forming clots a lot of places everywhere. And hopefully it's where you want them and not an overabundance of uh, where you don't want them. But obviously, we. We're at the mercy of uh, of some higher power that's greater than us that determine if, if that's all it's going to work out or not.
1: Yeah. Well, I can guarantee you one thing: don't give it while you're doing retrograde we, retrograde flow weaning off of ECMO. But I do want to say I know you want to close out. I do want to say one other thing, and this has to do with the antiviral that you talked about. That's very um, exciting, just, just, by the mo- way. Just Thanks a for moment sharing ago. That. Um, yes, that is. It, it's good news. Absolutely. I well, thought you could use you
0: know, some uh, good news in the last. Uh, Four months of what yeah. we've been through. Oh, no some, but Maybe there's mm-hmm. some hope on the horizon. I don't know, with this drug or maybe another. But. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and I think treatments make a lot of sense. Uh, but I'm going to say this, you know, again, I'll, I'll be happy to go on the record. Get vaccinated. Just get vaccinated. I understand this whole argument that's going on about natural immunity. You got COVID and you recovered from it, whatever the case may be. And maybe you do have antibodies and, you know, maybe you haven't gotten COVID or you just thought you had COVID. Have you really been tested for antibodies? Look, get vaccinated. That's all I can tell you. We have not one patient, not one of our patients, and I have seen more death than I ever care to see ever again in what has been a four-decade career. I have never seeing this level of death of young, healthy, otherwise healthy people, even with some comorbidities that would, that would not really affect their overall longevity whatsoever, die in the most horrific way and the degree of pain and suffering and, 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 and despair that I have seen families go through with young children, 19 years old, my grandchild's age, with the mother putting a figurine of Jesus on their head, praying nonstop. You told me about this. You she actually was, she, experienced this. She did a
2: vigil. She never stopped praying and the entire time. And when I say praying, I mean like chanting praises and, and for please, intervention. And I'm talking hours and hours and hours and hours. And this is
1: a mother... Who, who, I believe you told me that she said um, that she was praying that he's my only son. He's all I have.
2: He's my only child. My he's, only
1: child. Right. I
2: only have him and my mother, and my mother is elderly.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is this is a this is real. For anybody that doesn't think this is real. I mean, and this this kid's 19 years old. Barely 19. Barely 19 years old. Did not get vaccinated. Had told his mom he had gone and gotten vaccinated because she was pressuring him, begging him, imploring him, whatever you want to call it, to get vaccinated out of love and concern for him. And he said to get her off, you know, basically to make her feel better. And these are decent people. And we have... I've never seen anything like it, but not one patient we have, not one patient is a vaccinated patient that we have had to manage. And I was really surprised to listen. And listen, I, I, Vanderbilt is an incredible place. These people are very smart, and I think we should be looking to them for some guidance. But I'm seeing the exact same thing in the medical center. They're pulling back mm-hmm. from using ECMO for... COVID ARDS because the outcomes have been so bad. and uh, uh, But I, I was surprised that we as a group have done more ECMO. I know, than Vanderbilt. More patients have been. We have treated with ECMO as a bridge, not as a treatment because it's not a treatment. I want to make sure I'm clear on that. It doesn't cure anything. We have done more cases than they have for covid patients right for covid yep. correct
2: by quite a bit actually yes
1: and not one not one i challenge you to show me one that was vaccinated or previously infected i mean whatever i, I don't know i just know they're not vaccinated
2: mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. and uh and i'm sorry you know i, I uh, uh, if you don't want to believe the science of the vaccination, you don't want to believe that it's that it does any good. You don't want to believe it. You don't want to take it because you don't trust the science well, of I the vaccine. Some people then don't, don't want to be and, told.
2: And don't. it's come down to just that.
1: Well let me tell you what, you come to the hospital with severe ARDS secondary to COVID and you are going to be a science experiment because that's exactly what it is. Yeah. And our outcomes are horrible and I'm just imploring everyone To get vaccinated that's all i'm I'm saying just get vaccinated because if you get this it's uh and you look 98 percent of people are going to do just fine i agree i'm not arguing the point i can't argue it because it's true facts are facts but if you get it and have a bad reaction to it you're in trouble you mean covid yes covid that's what i'm talking about
2: not not the vaccine
1: no covid People will have, right, most people that get COVID will recover from COVID and do just fine, the overwhelming majority. But that percentage that do not, it's devastating. It is absolutely devastating. Well, and
2: it's important to talk about that getting it once does not mean you won't get it again and continue to spread to others, even if you're that person that can get it and be fine, you can get it again and still be fine, but you are still carrying um, a viral load that you can spread to people. Could you imagine
1: imagine being a patient? We've had a few that have come to us. We've gotten them on ECMO, and they've gone to the medical center and gotten a lung transplant. You get the lung transplant, now you're immunocompromised so even if you get vaccinated at that point in time you're immunosuppressed so you're out in the community trying now to have some semblance of a normal life and somebody who doesn't want to get vaccinated who is one of these that you're talking about it can get it and do just fine don't even know they have it and, and transmits to it to you it. and transmits it to you to that person they're toast they're absolutely toast
2: well wow. and i mean we had a specific this is a real person <laughs> patient we had who got it, was put on ECMO very early. Oh, is that not where it goes? Sorry. Yeah, was put right. on ECMO very early, was doing quite well, um, was just waiting for a lung transplant. I mean, talked to this patient every day. We, we spent lots of time with him. Roger?
1: Yeah. You talking about Roger? I am. Yeah, that was brutal.
2: And he got reinfected. By, you know, by a visitor, and
1: in the he, hospital.
2: In the hospital, ICU. In the, in the ICU, and he. I mean, we. I guess we can't ultimately say it was from this, but he became positive again, and uh, through a pulmonary embolus, and and died. died.
1: Well, we believe he threw a PE. Yeah. Again, we, we can't be positive,
2: that. but that's no. that's what they think. Right. And he he had been doing well for. Five weeks mm-hmm. or so, mm-hmm. waiting for his lung transplant mm-hmm. ticket.
1: Mm-hmm. So get vaccinated. That's all I ask.
2: Okay, and I'm going to end on a more positive note because I hear there's. I a I thought
1: mine was pretty positive.
2: Nope. Um, it's midweek. We gotta we gotta have some positive vibes. But John, you're in Key West. Beautiful Key West, and I bet the the sunsets are just great. Let's let talk talk to us about your scooter. And your uh, your your adventures on it. I a hear brand
0: you. new scooter, you know, because I traded in my really big, heavy 850 pound Harley after 20 years for a little 200 pound little mini bike scooter, which I rode for the first time last night. And uh, probably because it was brand new and the gas tank had never really been u- uh, used, and I was out riding, I, I think some uh, debris went down the gas line. And basically, it, it wouldn't. I got stranded where I was, where I was going, and Magic. it took me almost two and a half hours to push it three miles
1: Magic. home.
2: <laughs> Are you listening to this, Joe? He, I'm listening. He, he went out it three out to, and a half miles. Yeah, but he went out to see a beautiful sunset.
1: Yes. He rode well, a scooter. I, yes. I ran I out of gas.
2: No. Uh, no. I don't no. know
1: if you could see it. But it broke down. Oh, it broke down. And he
2: had to push it, and it took him uh, hours to get home.
1: Did
0: you enjoy the sunset? Well, I'm going to show you a picture, if I can get my phone to work properly. I don't know what it's doing, but um, I'll show you. I'll, oh, gosh, I don't know what my phone's doing there, but OK. So I, I have a great picture for you guys, if I could just find it. Uh, oh, well, it's not coming up.
2: Maybe a, it can be the gym of the week next week can be your picture of you well, on your scooter, or yeah, next was, month, rather.
0: Okay, here we go. See if you can see this on my phone. That's what I was doing last night.
2: Okay. Okay. Nice. Good for you.
0: Vina colada and a land shark with a sunset over the ocean behind me. With your broken scooter.
2: Not yet. It's not no. broken. The scooter wasn't broken yet. <laughs> but then when he left.
1: But there you go. Wow. So how's that for our vacation? That's not <laughs> bad. I think that's great. <laughs> I think that's great. Well, you know, you know, you know what Harley Davidsons and hound dogs have in common? <laughs> no. They both share the same initials, and they both ride in the back of pickup trucks. So, <laughs> with that said, I bid you farewell. Um, oh, we're gonna reschedule uh, Perfweb, the one that we had to skip. Yeah. Um, yeah, Perfweb sixty-eight. We're gonna work on rescheduling that hopefully um you know things are starting to look better number wise and so forth we may just add that to the thursday and just do a double and just do a double whammy uh, 68 and 70 at the same time are
2: we did we did we get a question so do we spin
1: oh yeah we did get a question yeah. i am so sorry uh, joy patel yeah joy you're going to i'm so sorry you're going to have to uh Send us an email at contact at perfusioneducation.com. Uh, and we will, of course, mail this to you. Please don't please tell don't tell me you're in Mumbai, okay? Because if you are, it's really expensive postage. But we'll <laughs> do it for you, okay? <laughs> so um, Joy, let us know where you are, send me your address, and uh, we're gonna go to spinning the wheel. Okay. So do you know how to do it? I so can't it remember that. here. here. Yep. And and there's here. your wheel. There's my yep. no wheel. Okay. okay. All right. John here the we mirror go. Again? Okay. We're gonna, okay. we're gonna spin for John. No, <laughs> spin button. Just oh yeah. No, we're
2: not. We're spinning for Joy.
1: Yeah, we're spinning for Joy. You said John. Oh, Joy Patel. Yep. Yeah. Here we go. I can't hear it.
2: Yeah, I can't hear any sound, but that's okay.
1: Well, you got to spin it over again.
2: No, but it, what if this is what she wants?
1: Well, how do you know it's a girl? It's a guy. Or he?
2: What
1: he wants? T-shirt. Okay, Whee! you want to show him the T-shirt? T-shirt, uh, yeah. Let's yeah. Grab a T-shirt, John. While she's going and getting the T-shirt, tell us about the uh, person who made these T-shirts, and it's they really can cool. enjoy. to Call me. To email me and tell me what color you want because we have red, black, and uh, I guess that's um, uh, uh, khaki yeah. or something. Yeah. Oh, yeah. uh, Can you zoom out, Magic? Can you help us out? Hold on.
0: Good friend of mine, Alan Klima, made this design, makes the shirts. uh, Basically, uh, complimentary. right, Joe sent a bunch to you for the show. And Perfusion, uh, cardiac surgery, Perfusion, we give your heart a rest. Right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, just show that right there. Just put it right up. You don't have to zoom in on it, Magic. Just let it, it, they can see it. And then, there you go. Okay.
2: We give you yeah. Our, yeah. And we've got uh, small in our... No Rotating
1: sorry. at Duke University Hospital. Ha, thank you very much. You got it, Joy. Send me an email. And a size. I'm so glad you're in North Carolina and not someplace <laughs> out of the country. And a size. We've got, let me tell
2: you, because the colors
1: we have are sizes. Probably large and extra large. We have a medium
2: a khaki and then extra large in black or red. Large, if you prefer long
1: sleeves, yes, and you know what? We have hats, yep. we have uh, uh surgery. Well, he's gonna win the t shirt, but you know what? I'll send him a care package. He's rotating at Duke, so okay? So it sounds backs. to me if he's doing a rotation at Duke, it sounds to me like he might be a student, okay? And what do students need care Stuff. packages? They Stuff. Do. We right also got So the
2: surgical cap surgical cap or the ball
1: cap and the ball cap. So whoeverpper's gonna send you you want a t-shirt Let me know what color and size you want and we're gonna send you that and a couple of other items. Thank you so much for what was an excellent question. I appreciate it so much and I really feel bad that he didn't get the extra call or the aortic dissection. actually I didn't like it because I couldn't hear it so I think you need to spit again.
2: But this is just for fun. okay. he gets the t shirt
1: Oh maybe. But he might get more than just a t-shirt. Now we got sound. Thank you. Come on. Give him an aortic section. Nope. Come on. Got to
2: be something good. Stop it. You're cheating. Uh,
1: and a cup. Okay. And a web cup. So you're getting one of those, too. So you're getting everything. You're getting the whole care package. You're getting the whole, the whole ball of wax, Joy. And listen, good luck. And your profession I'm assuming you said you're doing you're doing uh, rotation so you're likely a student I'm assuming from that uh, I could be wrong but that's what I'm assuming um, good luck in your career and uh, think of us and tell us how you're doing uh, as you move along and you know as soon as you are eligible for your boards please call us we're hiring. <laughs> Uh, might even hire you now, depending on how far along you are, and uh, we'll just get you right going to work as soon as possible. So thank you very much for participating. We, that's why we do what we do is because of people like you. So we wouldn't have a show were, were it not for people like you. So thank you very much. Yeah. You want to close us out finish yep. this up?
2: All right. John, thank you so much, as always, for doing a wonderful topic and uh, entertaining Gem of the Week. Uh, This one was very uplifting, so we certainly enjoyed it. Thanks to all of our viewers, and a special thank you to um, uh, Joey and Dr. Patel from Vanderbilt uh, for a wonderful segment this morning. And everyone, just have a great week and tune in. uh, When's our next PerfWeb?
1: Our next PerfWeb is, so right now I'm looking for the thumbs up. Okay, so I'm going to send that to joy it'll be he says he hit the lottery it is going to be on a thursday yeah and it is uh thursday october 21st yep Mm -hmm. go ahead at 3 p.m at uh, 3 p.m but it probably will be earlier because i'm going to do the uh uh, perf 68 along with it but it the topic is going to be both do2 delivery you know oxygen delivery why do you need a perfusionist and because there's such a you know, we talk about DO2 all the time, right? But in perfusion, when you're in the operating room and you have to manage, they need to do the operation and they need to see and the heart's filled up and they... they have different challenges. Lots and lots of challenges. How do we manage DO2, making sure that the tissues are, are, are perfused adequately, but also facilitate the reason we're there, right? protect the brain, facilitate Mm -hmm. the operation being done. But then we're also going to be talking, not like we haven't done it a billion times, my perspectives on, and I never have a perspective on anything, almost opinionless, I know, my perspectives on how the healthcare industry managed the COVID-19 pandemic. That'll Uh, be uplifting. What is exceptionalism (laughs) and what is heroism.
2: Oh, well, it will uh, be uplifting.
1: I think it will be. I think it will be. It'll be, there'll be some, there's going to be some pretty strong, you know, pointed messages in there. Yeah. Yep, I'm sure of it. Uh, But with that said, I want to bid everybody adieu, and uh, we'll see you on Thursday, October 21st, barring a fifth wave and a catastrophe.